Professor John Swinton's from the University of Aberdeen, and we're absolutely delighted that, that, that John is um, coming here today. He's um, Professor of Practical Theology and Pastoral Care at the University of Aberdeen, an ordained minister, and also w- has worked as a nurse in psychiatry and learning disability. And he's going to be speaking to us about one head and two cures. John, over to you. Thank you. Good morning. Let's uh, I have an iPad. Put your hand up if you've got an iPad. Put your hand up if you're in love with your iPad. It's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's vaguely obscene. The, uh, it's a pleasure to be, uh, to be able to get the opportunity to come and speak to you about one or two things. Uh, one thing, just to clarify, Rob, earlier on you said um, uh, if there's a... How did you put it? If there's a fire escape, we're not going to use it or something like that. No, is that what it was? Yes, that's what you, that's what you put it. If there, no, you said if there's a fire escape, we're not going to use it. If there's a fire escape, actually, no, you said we don't plan a fire escape, um, and I do plan a fire escape. So if there's a fire, I plan to escape. <laughs> I just wanted to clarify that because it, I mean, I'm, I'm all for faith, but there you go. <laughs> um, the title I was given to talk on today was um, One Head and Two Cures. Uh, and you'll see that on the slide, cures in uh, inverted commas. And the reason for that is because I'm not sure that cure is always the best goal. And I'm not sure always that cure is possible. So I want us to think this morning, first of all, about what mental health looks like within a Christian context. And secondly, I want us to think, what does the church bring to the conversation that's unique, that's different? Or does the church just do the same as everybody else, the same as psychiatrists, the mental health services, the same as psychology? Or is there somewhere in between where we all come together with different gifts and bring that stuff together? And I would suggest that starting from the right place is the key thing for all of us as pastoral carers, as people who are engaged with church. We need to begin from the right place. And the question is, where is that right place? I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but the Bible has no word for health in the way that we use it today. Our understanding of health oftentimes is shaped by uh, biomedicine, and so health is understood as somehow being the absence of illness, so if you don't have a mental health problem, then you're healthy. If you do have one, then you're ill. The Bible has none of that. The closest word that we have in in the Scriptures for uh, health is the word shalom. Now, I'm sure you've all used the word shalom before in, in different contexts or heard it in different contexts. But shalom means, first and foremost, righteousness, holiness, and right relationship with God. Isn't that interesting? To be healthy is to be in right relationship with God. It's got nothing to do with your psychological state. It's got nothing in that sense to do with your uh, physical state. It's to do with the way that you relate to God. And so you can be profoundly ill and you can be really, really healthy. And you can be healthy according to a biomedical model, if you like, and really, really ill in that way. And so to be whole and to be healthy doesn't mean to be freed of the signs and symptoms of mental illness. It means to be in a position where you can be in right relationship with God. And that's quite a radical starting point and quite a different starting point for a conversation. 
Because the understanding of the mental health within psychiatry may oftentimes be quite different from the understanding of mental health that the church brings to the conversation. Now, where the danger begins is if the church, with its gifts, with its talents, with its understanding of health and healing, simply picks up that which is given to it from mental health services and says, well, this is the place where we begin, so therefore we need to work from here. My point is not that there's a problem with mental health services or psychiatry, that's not the thing. My point is that they're telling a different story. And the, story, the church comes into the conversation bearing a different story. These two stories are necessary, but they're different. So if you begin from the wrong place, then you're going to struggle. And let me show you what I mean. Think about the, the issue of uh, diagnosis. What's a diagnosis? A diagnosis is, occurs when uh, somebody brings a series of experiences and feelings and emotions and gives them to a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist then filters these experiences and the emotions through the particular theoretical frameworks that they have to, uh, to professionally to make sense of things. Then they give a diagnosis. And all of these stories, all of these experiences, all of these emotions are suddenly explained by this diagnosis. Now, there's nothing wrong with that because diagnoses are intended for mental health professionals to be able to identify human experience in a particular way and then be able to use their gifts and talents to bring about a healing cure, whatever way you want to put it. But what you've got to remember with diagnosis is they are designed for a particular group of people. They're designed for the mental health professions who are trained to look for certain things, trained to look at things in particular ways and to create diagnosis out of that, which they then engage in treatments uh, uh, towards individuals who now bear that diagnosis. But the problem with diagnosis is twofold. One, mental health diagnoses are really sticky. Once you've got one, it's really difficult to get rid of it. And they're not just biomedical things, they're social things. And so if you get a diagnosis of schizophrenia, it's not just a psychiatric category you have, it's a social status. So you go into the psychiatrist's office and you give them this, your story, you give them these experiences, they say, oh, well, you have schizophrenia uh, and you come back out as a schizophrenic. So you go in as John or Mary or James and you come out with this label, which is highly stigmatized within, within society. So they're sticky, they're tricky. But secondly, they're designed to look for and identify problems. That's what they're, they're there for. They're used to make sense of, of problematic issues. And so if you think about it like this, diagnoses are like lenses that you look through. Now you look through the lens and you can see, once you've been trained to look through it, you can see exactly what this pattern of behavior, pattern of feeling looks like. So that's great because that enables you to use your professional skills uh, to uh, help people. But the problem with lenses is that they allow you to see really sharply one thing, and in seeing one thing really sharply, they can oftentimes blind you to other things. Okay. And that's one of the problems within professional healthcare in general is that we're trained to look at certain things and by looking at them very carefully and dealing with them very well, we actually stop seeing other things. And so if we, as the church, go into any encounter with the assumption that the diagnosis is the place for us to begin, then we'll see certain things 
and we want other people, we want to see other things. My point is not that diagnoses are not important for the church, of course they are. But the, 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 my point is that the church brings a different lens. It brings a different perspective. It enables a person to begin to look at these initial experiences and feelings and, and fears and what have you in a different way and begin to try and make sense of them. So the two things, are, the two lenses are complementary, but they're not the same thing. And so if you begin the journey in the wrong place, then you'll get to the wrong uh, uh, destination. So think about what mental illnesses actually are. They're, deeply meaningful, they're a deeply meaningful set of human experiences that are open to a multitude of different interpretations. Okay, so if you're a professional here in these experiences, you will see some, some things and respond in some ways. But if you're a Christian, if you're a pastoral carer, you'll see these same experiences, but you'll see them differently. Because you'll hear differently. Because you'll see differently. Because you've been formed to see differently. And so therefore, the stories and narratives that you bring into that situation and the, the, the perspective and the lens that you look at it enables you to see things that other people simply cannot see. Mental illnesses are places where people encounter the world in ways that are sometimes distressing and always deeply spiritual. That's the important thing. You'll find at the heart of any mental health problem deeply spiritual issues. Now the question is whether we can identify them and whether we can work with them, but they're always there. So diagnostic categories uh, have biological, social, and spiritual implications. And if we don't see the balance between all of these things, then we don't really see the person that is before us in that sense. So we need to start from the right place, we need to gather the right stories, and we need to move in the right directions. Really interesting, uh, <clears throat> uh, Old Testament scholar called Walter Brueggemann, He's done some fantastic work on the Psalms of Lament, amongst other things. And he points to the Psalms of Lament in the Bible, you know these places where there's that big explosion of, of uh, emotions and anger towards God, and then in the middle of the Psalm, the Psalmist says, hey, okay, I trust you, I trust in your unfailing love. He points out that these Psalms were originally used to... Um, in small group situations, or many of them, in small group situations where people had experienced great suffering. And they were designed to move a person from a situation of deep disorientation to a reorientation. And so he points to the way the Psalms run. Most of our lives, we are quite oriented towards the world. Life is good, God is good, God's in his heaven, everything's fine. But then something traumatic happens, be that a mental health issue, be that a, a, a bereavement or whatever it may be, and we go into this period of deep disorientation where everything begins to shift and change. The old stories don't fit. The old maps don't lead to the same places. The old methods of coping can't cope. Dissonance leads to spiritual questions. Who am I? Where do I come from? Where am I going to and why? And these spiritual questions come to the telling of new stories. Now, Brueggemann uh, doesn't talk about mental illness, but we can see how that would work. That this period, life is okay, deep disorientation, and then we're reoriented to something different. Now, the important thing about reorientation is you're not the same place as you were before. You're at a very different place because you've been through that trauma of illness and you come to this place where you are 
a new person in that sense. If we are telling new stories, we are seeing things in a new and a fresh way. And the question for me is, what does that period of reorientation look like? Now, at one level, you could say, well, it's a, it's a time when you don't have any signs and symptoms of mental illness. But for, from a Christian perspective, reorientation is a place where you see the world differently, where you've gone through that and you open yourself and you see something quite, quite differently. And you begin to ask new questions of the way that the world is. And the question that I want to wrestle with in relation to this morning is, is the church well positioned to hear new stories? What are these new stories that people who have gone through that experience of disorientation bring to the table? How does that relate to the way that standard services understand it? And what do Christians, what do the church bring to the table for people who are searching for reorientation, searching for shalom in that way. And I want to, to, to think of two practices, two Christian practices that might be helpful as we think about how A, we deal with the, the reorientation, bringing people back to a place of health, i.e. shalom, and what that might look like um, in relation to other things. Um, the two practices are time and the second practice is friendship. Okay. Let's begin with the practice of time. I don't know if you've noticed, and I'm sure you have, but our lives are often ruled by time. We buy time, we use time, we lose time, we waste time. Exactly the same things that you do with your money, you do with your time. So time rules us and time drives us and time moves us towards, well, who knows where we're actually driving towards in relation to our time. And in the, in the healthcare service, time is money. We don't have time to do this. I mean, in all the research that we've done into uh, spirituality and mental health, you go and talk to people uh, in wards and in the hospital, you talk to managers, and they'll say, hey, it's really important that spirituality is part of what we're going on to do. I understand exactly what you're saying, but we don't have time to do it. So time is important. Let's think about it this way. There's, um, uh, I read a, a really interesting book by um, John Goldingay, who's an Old Testament. You must think I'm obsessed with the Old Testament, but I'm not. Well, I kind of am. But I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> and he, his wife, Anne, had um, multiple sclerosis. And she, she was very, very ill, and obviously, and then sadly she died. And the book that she, he's just written is, is Remembering Anne, and it's really kind of like a diary of his experiences with um, Anne through her multiple sclerosis and on into her death. Um, and at one point, he begins to look at the issue of, you know, how she communicates when at the end of her life, she was really lost to him, as he put it. And he says to his students, he invites his students back to his house, um, to meet Anne and to have pancakes. I don't know what the significance of pancakes is, probably nothing. And unless you, I mean, do you guys like pancakes? Yeah, okay. Just thought I'd check that out. It's kind of like a spiritual test. The, uh, and so he says to his students, I want you to come back on Tuesday to meet Anne and to have pancakes and to have coffee and tea. Now, when you meet her, she won't know who you are. 
Um, but go to her and just spend time with her because in that moment, she'll recognize you. And when I heard that, something clicked into place. In that moment, she'll recognize you. You know, for many years, I worked as a, as a hospital chaplain, and one of the things I did was work with people with dementia. And you, you know, many of you here that's worked with people with dementia who know that sometimes people get lost, but sometimes there's a moment when you catch them. You've got to be ready for that. You've got to be in that space. You've got to notice it, but you catch them, and they catch you. And within the Christian tradition, there's a contemplative tradition called the sacrament of the present moment. It's valuing every second of every day, being in that space of availability to people, even when everybody around them says that they're not there. John Golden, you find that with his wife, she was there sometimes. I find that with people with dementia. But you find that we don't take that kind of time for one another. But if we do, if we take the sacrament of the present moment seriously, then everything begins to shift, everything begins to change. Because we're using time faithfully. And this is really, really important for, for you guys. We need to use time faithfully. St. Augustine, uh, in his confessions, has got a big section on time and the nature of time. And he's trying to, try to, trying to wrestle with the fact that uh, God, he wants to think that God is somehow outside of time because if God is inside of time, then God can change because things that are inside of time change. Uh, and he has this conversation with his friends and his, his friends say, ask him, what was God doing before he created the world? And his friends say, was he um, creating hell for the sinners? And Augustine wasn't very happy with this for obvious reasons. But the way that he resolves the problem is this. He says, time comes into existence with creation, right? When God creates the world, time comes into existence. That being so, when the world creation falls, time falls with it. And so time needs to be redeemed. And part of the task of the church is to redeem time. Now, all of us know that it's important that people spend time with us, but in the mental health context, it's very important to, to learn how to use our time with one another. But think about it that way. Time needs to be redeemed. One of the primary gifts that the, the church can offer to contemporary mental health uh, services is the gift of time. Finding time, finding space, redeeming time, Taking time for the trivial, as Jean Vanier puts it. Taking time for these things that nobody else cares about, nobody else notices. Taking time for that which the world laughs at. So, dead simple. Major contribution to mental health care, redeeming time and giving it as a gift. The second thing that I think church communities can bring to this conversation is the simple gift of friendship. Right? It seems simple, but it's more complicated uh, in some respects. In our culture, the way that we tend to, do, to uh, uh, develop our friendships is like attracts like. You look at most of your friends, they're very similar to you. In fact, we actually look for ourselves and others, I, I, I suspect. Um, and so you get that, that, you get that in relationships, you get that in, in uh, all sorts of things. And also you get a kind of exchange of social goods. I'll be your friend as long as you give me the social goods that are necessary to make me 
happy and satisfied. If you don't do that, then I won't be your friend. You can see that in all relationships, that exchange way of looking at things. But a good way of reframing that, rethinking that, is by looking at the, the friendships of, of Jesus. Uh, now, the whole idea of the incarnation, God becoming a human being, has to do with God, who is radically unlike human beings, becoming like human beings and entering into friendship with human beings. So it's something absolutely radical in there. To be a disciple in that sense, to be somebody who follows that same pattern of behavior, is to enter into relationships with those who are considered by society to be quite, quite different. So people with psychotic illness are very oftentimes considered to be quite, quite different. But through the lens of friendship, that difference looks quite, quite different, if you see what I mean. Um, and one of the interesting things, we oftentimes think about uh, the idea that Jesus sits with the sinners on the margins. Um, now, that's, that's a mistake. Because if you think about the way that it runs, Jesus sits with the marginalized, but Jesus, who is God, becomes the marginal, through Jesus who is God, the margins become the center. And so everybody over here who thinks they're doing church properly, everybody over here who thinks they're doing shalom well, actually isn't noticing that everybody over here is where they're gathering around God. And so the simple gift of that friendship that breaks through stigma, that breaks through stereotypes, that doesn't take diagnosis as the only way in which we can look at people, is a gift that we can give to people. And it's a powerful countercultural gift that remembers the nature of who we are as human beings and what it means to be present with one another in these ways. And if you think even these two small things that the church brings to the conversation, the gift of time and the gift of friendship, place that alongside the significance of diagnostic criteria, then you begin to open up, don't you? You begin to have a big picture of what's going on in terms of people's mental health, people's mental illness. No longer is mental illness defined simply by problems, suddenly it's opened up by new possibilities of relationship, new possibilities of health within illness. And that's the key thing to think about, health within illness. Now, the service users movement have been talking to us about that for a long, long time, the idea that you, you don't have to be completely cured in order to be healthy. But what I'm suggesting to you is that in a theological context, that makes perfect sense. You don't have to be cured to be um, uh, completely healthy. And so, what I want you to take away from today is that there's a need for a hospitable conversation between psychiatry and mental health and that which the church brings to the conversation. Now, hospitality is a very important concept. Now, if you look at the life of Jesus, what you see is hospitality, but of a certain kind. Sometimes he was host, sometimes he was guest. And it's that constant movement between host and guest that... Uh, uh, provides a hospitable dynamic that you see in the life of Jesus. And it's that constant movement between host and guest that the Christian community needs to lock into. Because very often, in, in relation to people with mental illness, we're very, uh, we always assume that we, we have to find ways of hosting. What I'm asking you is, what does it mean when you're a guest of people who see the world differently? What does it mean when you're a guest of people who are uh, lodged in deep sadness? What does it mean to be a guest of those who see the world in a way that you can't even imagine? 
What does it mean to spend time and to listen and to enter into that in special in new ways without assuming that there's nothing there but pathology and open up the possibility that there's something there that's different. But key to the idea of hospitality is that in order for me to be hospitable to you and you to be hospitable to me, I need to be allowed to be me, okay? And so if I'm going to be hospitable to Rob as a psychiatrist, I don't want him to expect me to be a psychiatrist. And if you're going to be hospitable to me uh, as a theologian, I don't want you to, to think that you have to become a theologian to be my, my friend in that sense. And one of the problems, you see it quite a lot in some of the um, uh, interreligious um, dialogue, that the way in which we find uh, common ground is that everybody collapses into the center and uh, nobody actually has any identity, but at least we found our oneness in the oneness. Um, what I'm saying to you is that church communities need to be clear about what they bring. They need to be uh, confident about what they bring to that conversation. And they need to be certain and obvious, obviously uh, sure uh, what the difference is in the things that they bring. When they can bring these things to the table and when psychiatry can bring its stuff to the table and when people with mental illness can bring their stuff to the table, and that's a really important dimension. It's not a two-way conversation, it's at minimum a three-way conversation. When the three of us can get round that table and have that conversation, then the possibility of shalom becomes a reality. And that's genuinely holistic care because all of these stories are real. What the psychiatrist brings is real. What the person with mental illness brings is real. What the church brings is real. It's how we negotiate these conversations in ways that bring about health, that bring about wholeness, and bring about shalom. That's the key. So be confident in what you bring, but be sure that what you bring is faithful in that sense and not simply derivative of what you think it should be. And so that's it. Bearing witness to shalom is uh, really the thing I want you to think about. In your bodies, in your life, in your friendship, in your time, bear witness to health, bear witness to wholeness, and bear witness to new possibilities that very easily get lost in a system that, uh, uh, that focuses on money, time, and things that may not be that important in the grand scheme of things. So thank you for listening. I think we're having questions later on, so I'll I'll depart. <laughs>